So it doesn't matter how clever you are at planning or how great you are at developing a strategy. If your underlying mental fitness skills aren't there, then it, it doesn't it doesn't have any purpose. So I became slightly annoyed that it wasn't happening as a basic. Hello, I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is hopefully your favorite career podcast where you get the insights to go from motion into action and make things happen. I'm your host, Johanna Herbst. I'm a certified executive and career coach with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. This week, it's all about mental fitness, and for that super exciting topic, I have the best possible guest, Charlotte Weissman. Before we jump in and learn how we can really stay mentally fit, let me introduce her to you. Charlotte Weissman is a positive organizational psychology consultant and trainer known for her pioneering work in the field of mental fitness. It was her own journey, overcoming chronic stress, anxiety, and depression, that first led her to explore applied positive psychology techniques in 2009. The changes she experienced were so inspiring that she left her long-standing career in the fashion industry to pursue a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology and mental health first at trainer qualifications. Charlotte is a member of the British Psychological Society and International Positive Psychology Association and has been featured in the Journal of Public Mental Health. She's leading the way for bringing the parity of esteem into the workplace. Charlotte is based in London in the UK. I'm so excited to see you again this morning. Charlotte, how have you been? I'm really well, thank you. Very, very well. It's uh, sunny in London, which is rare, so that's uh, always a good start to the day. Wow, it's raining here, so I feel like the London weather, we have it. And to get things started, I want to start with a few rapid-fire questions, short questions, short answers. Are you ready? I am. Your last name is Wiseman. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how wise are you? Oh, two. And we will talk about mental fitness today. How do you keep yourself fit? Uh, mentally fit... I make sure I take time every morning with a cup of coffee before I open my phone, before I start reacting mm -hmm. to anything and just have a moment of coffee, um, pausing to reflect. That is absolutely one, one kind of necessary in my life. Number two, physical exercise keeps my body fit, keeps my mind fit. Uh, my partner can pretty much tell when I've not been going to the gym and he will uh, tell me to go to the gym because it makes it a nicer place for everybody <laughs> to be at home. Uh, so that's definitely one. And nature and um, the mountains just they're, they're kind of an essential for me. And if I don't get out into nature once every few weeks, I don't need it every day. But once every few weeks, I definitely notice the impact it has on, on me psychologically. And you just mentioned the mountains. I know that you are a mountain lover. Do you prefer skiing or snowboarding? Skiing, 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 skiing. Oh. <laughs> okay I've tried snowboarding I've tried snowboarding I, I I like to be able to do everything I'm very much like I like to try stuff so I have tried snowboarding but I am at heart a skier 
Um, and a snowboarding is more of like when I'm taking my dad out and I know I'll, I might be a bit bored if I'm skiing with him, I'll take a snowboard out and I'll go and then he can he can wait for me rather than the other way around, which is quite nice. Nice. And I know that your first career was in fashion. What is your number one fashion rule? Oh, my goodness. Um, classic. Just anything simple, classic. Don't don't over try I think is is probably my my main one keep um, it simple keep it what you feel comfortable with and before you were also mentioning your dad and your partner how would they describe you in just one word oh my partner would probably say something around thoughtful or loving mm. um thoughtful loving yeah that that kind of zone my dad I don't know he always says he always says I'm a strong woman which is uh, I don't think he always necessarily means that in a positive way, but um, I think that's probably <laughs> what he would say. I, don't, I think he means sometimes that that's, uh, he might mean more on the stubborn, obstinate side of things, but I think that's his perspective. Yeah, resilient, probably my dad would say. He's always said that. I remember that actually after about a year and a half after I started my business and my, made my transition and Uh, the numbers were not making sense to stay in business and I sat down with him on New Year's Eve and and I said dad it's I, I thought I'd at least broken even this year and I thought I thought it was going to be okay yes and he said okay and he said well what do you think and I went I don't know I just am I being stupid you know persevering with this is this am I being stupid and he said do people need what you're doing and I said yes definitely 100% and he said you've always been able to do anything you want to put your mind to stick with it and and that's I think his underlying view of me is if I put my mind to it it'll happen um so yeah wow I mean you are a Capricorn as I know <laughs> yes exactly exactly <laughs> and classic Capricorn in every way <laughs> and so who is one of your role models I love Brenny Brown I have to say she's kind of a maybe a bit of a classic person for people yes. to say she's but I like her down to earth I'm just a human but she's also an incredible researcher but a researcher who seems driven by a pure curiosity for understanding people yeah so I'm, I'm definitely inspired by by Brené Brown and when you look at leaders what is one quality that is just a must self-awareness self-awareness not just sort of what you're doing but why you're acting in the way that you're acting um what's driving that you've got good intentions but maybe that that can can sometimes be misinterpreted there's a there's a lovely quote i think it might be by henry ford and it said we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions and i think that's really important in leadership to understand of how how might this be perceived so kind of that self-awareness of your view not being the only view and why yeah. that's happening for you and then also the potential for for what those outcomes might be because of those actions wow very very powerful and two more questions for the rapid fire what is what is the best advice you've been given in your personal on your professional life I might come back to something my dad used to tell me, and uh, I don't always do it, but he always said, never make a big decision or send an e a, a letter at the time, because he told me when I was, you know, eight, so it was the late 80s. But um, <laughs> he said, never, you never send a letter or you make a big decision late at night. You always wait till the next morning. That is still just such good advice. And I still talk about it on my leadership courses. You know, if you're going to 
send a really important email. If it's at 10 o'clock at night and no one's going to read it, don't do it. Pause, draft it, send it the next morning. Even even hitting you know automatic send for the next morning, you don't get the chance to revisit it. And your yes. view and your perceptions first thing in the morning will be so different. So I'm very much of the mindset, I'll never have a heated conversation late at night. I'll never address something that's making me stressed or worried late at night because I know my view the next morning will be a whole different uh, landscape. Wow. And last question for the for the rapid fire. What is one thing we cannot Google about you? Cannot Google about me. No. This is about your secrets. Oh, okay. What can you not Google about me? Oh my gosh, some of my haircuts. Do not Google the, <laughs> the historic haircuts of Charlotte Wiseman. Um, particularly, I'm going to say it must have been, yeah, 1998 when I found a place in my local town that did a haircut for three pounds, which is, wow. you know, now about sort of what, four euros, three, four euros. Yeah, they should have been paying me to have that haircut. It was a special haircut. So yeah, do not Google the haircuts of Charlotte Wiseman through the years. I love it. And in my intro, I already said that your journey as an entrepreneur has been triggered by your personal journey. So I'm now very, very curious to find more about what led you to where you are today. Could you please share your key milestones? Yeah, I so I guess starting early, I was uh, leaving school and and had pretty strong A levels and thought I would go and do a, a proper career in my head, which was like English law, something in in that space. Had a place to go and do law, and the day before the applications for art college, I was in the art studio and I suddenly went, why Why am I going to do like a, a academic degree when all I love is being in this room and, and painting. So I changed right at the last minute to go and do art with fashion as a possibility in the back of my head. Absolutely loved my art foundation course, went into fashion, loved fashion, absolutely passionate. I was, you know, as a hard worker and I was fascinated by a lot of the structural stuff around fashion more than the the style maybe I was very interested in the technicalities of pattern cutting and how you could do quite interesting things I worked in fashion for 15 years in about 2010 I was given an opportunity where I was sort of moved from being a designer in a team to being the head of the menswear team simply because people were moving out of roles and, and there was this opportunity and the owner of the business was being taken away for some other things so I was given a huge amount of ownership in a very small space of time and suddenly you know, running all the design and production of this global fashion brand what felt like overnight it probably came in a period of six months but it was a big step I was so determined to do this job well that I started to work longer hours. I was always able to work on weekends because all my factories were open on weekends. And so I was working six days a week at least, often seven days. I was working 14, 16 hours a day um, and honestly thought this was thought this was me nailing it. I thought that you know everything felt on control. Um, I was creating a huge amount. There was like that buzz, that adrenaline buzz of like things are going. It's all happening. It's all happening. Anyone who works in fashion knows that that's kind of that's the cycle that happens. You know, you go through these. Oh, it's all manic, and then it pauses, and it's all manic, and it's all pauses. And but there wasn't the pause. You know, it was just going and going and going. And I thought everything was fine um, until one day, uh, end of a normal day, there was nothing big that was going on I guess in the weeks up to it 
I, I knew I'd been stressed, but I just thought it was normal stress. And yeah. I remember having conversations with my brother and he'd just be like, you should just be grateful for what, you know, for what's going on. It's, it, you've got the, a dream job. Everyone would kill for your job. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I know. I also remember having moments of tears, but I, I didn't really know what was going on. And it all kind of came to a head when I walked out of the factory one day at the end of the, the Saturday and, and you used to walk out of the factory and there was like the heat of the Indonesian air. And I stood in the road looking up at this sign where we used to wait for a taxi. And I just remember suddenly being hit by this feeling of, I can't live another day like this, was the thought that passed my mind. I just, this isn't living. And I remember yeah. that, that sort of thought of just, this isn't, this isn't living and I don't want to be here and I don't want to do this. But I didn't know what I needed to do or what I wanted to change. I just knew I didn't want this. Um, and I remember two girls walking out of the factory who were visiting from the UK from the women's team and they tried to talk to me and I, I couldn't even speak or articulate what was going on for me. I, I couldn't I couldn't explain. Yeah. And I remember wanting to cry and not being able to cry and desperately thinking like, I just I need to get this out and this and I can't. It was it was like I was so exhausted. Anyway, in all their wonderful British wisdom, they they did what we kind of did at uh, often on a Saturday evening when we left the factory, which was uh, go for a drink. Um, and they, they thought this was going to be the cure of everything. Oh, have a glass of wine. You'll be fine. And I sat there and I just started to cry, staring at this drink. I couldn't speak. I couldn't really think, but I was just crying. And then eventually later that night, I managed to got to speak to my doctor back in the UK. And, and to cut it sort of a long story short, she was very, very quick to say I had I had to quit my job. I had to come home. I had to take time out. And I was very quick to say no. And I don't think that was what she expected. I don't think she thought it it was a question. But at that moment, that decision was the only decision I had. And I I think that was a really good decision because I think if I'd taken my work away at that moment, I might not have had a reason to keep going. It would have taken away my whole sense of self at that moment. It had become so wrapped up in who I was. And I think that's a really important point because so often people think if someone's struggling at work or you know, finding that things are getting on top of them, this life's too stressful, that automatically they should take time out. Actually, that's not the best choice because unless you change the habits that you're using and implementing on a day-to-day basis, you're just going to find yourself back where you are. So, and that's what I was forced forced to do. That's what I chose to do, I guess. I, I started an online therapy format the next day and then face-to-face one-to-one therapy when I got back to the UK. And I worked through my recovery from that point. Didn't even tell my boss for no other reason than I was worried what he would do, even though in hindsight, I, am, I believe he would have been very understanding and, and a lot more empathetic than I, I gave him credit for. Um, but I started to make really tiny changes. And the way I was making those changes was a therapist would suggest something. I would be cynical um, because I thought that, you know, whatever they said was just not going to change anything. You know, they'd go, oh, meditation, it's really useful. Why would that do anything? Meditation's a load of rubbish. Why would I sit and do nothing when I'm too busy? And then they'd read, they'd give me some papers and some science to read and I'd do some research and I'd say, oh, there's actually some pretty compelling evidence about why this works and so I'd try it and then it really worked so powerful particularly meditation and mindfulness meditation so MBCT and I was like oh this is 
that's incredible. That's in two weeks. Okay, I'll keep this up. And then taking a 10 minute lunch break, which for me was revolutionary at that point. I mean, leaving all my technology inside the factory and going and sitting outside and just eating and daydreaming and not reading and not looking at anything, but just pausing. And I just became more and more fascinated with psychology and neuroscience specifically. So decided to start to study it as like a hobby alongside my job and and then decided I was going to sign up to do a degree alongside my job. And and it got to this point where I became actually so fascinated by the learning and, and slightly annoyed that it had taken me to this point in my career for anyone to teach me this stuff because this is in my in my eyes and and I still believe this this is all the functional basics that we need to have in place if we want to use the skills that we get taught and and the capabilities and the you know all the other aspects and facets like of the mind yeah it's like the absolute basics the foundations the that you build the rest of everything on and so you can't communicate clearly if your basic brain functional and the amygdala and the other parts of the brain aren't connecting and communicating effectively you you can't you can't so it doesn't matter how clever you are at planning or how great you are at developing a strategy if your underlying mental fitness skills aren't there then it it doesn't it doesn't have any purpose so i became slightly annoyed that it wasn't happening as a basic and that's the point at which in 2017, I decided to quit my job, go back and do a master's and start teaching people what I would say are the fundamentals of mental fitness, the skills that we need to realize our own potential, because that's what this is all about. How do we use the skills and the capabilities that we have? We need to have these aspects. And that's that self-awareness. That's that awareness of others. Um, that's knowing our strengths and how to play to that. It's knowing the mindsets that we need to um, embody in order to learn from our experiences. Thank you for sharing. That is so, so interesting. And how long did it take from the moment that you had, say, this breakdown till you recovered again? How long? What, what was the time spent there? It's a difficult, it's an interesting one because you don't sort of notice in, in the journey, as it were. Yes. I think it took probably a good year, year and a half of regular therapy to feel like I'd just found my feet again for the initial period it was like a bit of a survival stage um so maybe it was it was sort of six months of just okay I've just got to get through I've just got to get through and and you started to sort of build the skills of rebuilding some confidence and rebuilding since then I, I still have coaching I still have therapy um because I do think it is an ongoing process I would say yeah probably probably 12 to 18 months before I felt confidently back in back in play And when you fell back in place, how much longer did you do the fashion job? I will tell you why I'm asking that, because I'm curious to see how you were different as a leader once you had mm. new tools in place that kept oh. you on a different, say, on a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. I was in that job for seven years. So another seven, seven years. So I stayed in it. That changed within six months, how I changed as a leader. I think particularly my ability to motivate people without just we've just got to do it which yes. was my prior my prior approach which for anyone who's worked in Bali and Indonesia the approach of telling someone they've just got to do it tends to not work you have to really find a little bit more of a 
um, a way of tapping into people's intrinsic motivation. I definitely needed to learn how to to delegate and say no more more quickly over that period of time. But within six months, I was a leader who was understanding people. I would say a little bit more, or at least trying to. You know, I was certainly yes. not perfect. It was less self-focused. Of I want to get this done for me. It was a bit more of that. Um, and I think I was also very much more aware of what was driving me and how often fear was driving my actions. A personal world driven by fear or a team culture driven by fear is never positive. But I don't think I was implementing fear in my team, but I was personally being driven by fear rather than working towards something aspirational. And I think that drive for me to shift internally I think that then in turn changed how I inspired and, and worked with others and when I hear fear fear in the work culture I think of toxic cultures um what is a toxic work culture and how can we recognize them I think um psychological safety is a really good you know base base concept of of what is not a, a toxic culture so I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with the language of toxic culture because Uh, but it's not a healthy culture, let's say that. So it's definitely not a healthy culture. It has a, a really nice format to, to explain what psychological safety is. And, and he talks about four levels of psychological safety. And the first one is inclusion safety. And that is that people should feel able to come to work, be themselves, bring their own personalities, their own backgrounds, their own quirks, And not fear that they're going to be judged or reprimanded for being themselves. Um, the second stage is learner safety. People need to have a culture where they can learn, ask questions, uh, make mistakes and fail. Again, without fear of that being reprimanded or judged of any negative implications. So that's that learner. So people need that. Um, And then the, the third one is contributor safety. So that's about being able to bring new ideas and, and come up with new things. And I think that really requires that within an organization, people know that they have value. They, they are contributing to a bigger goal. So that really requires that people know how their position sits within the broader organizational goals. Um, and how they're contributing and they feel safe to bring new ideas. Um, and the fourth one, which is probably hardest for most organizations to create, is challenger safety. And that is where people feel that if they see something is wrong, if they see something could be done better, they are able to put their hand up and say, actually, I think, I think this could be done better or there's a risk there that we need to address. And that is in, also about people being able to say, they say to their leader that, you know, I, I really appreciate you're trying to help me in this way. It would be more helpful for me if you could help me in this way. So being able to have that, that clear and honest conversation with leaders. So those are the kind of four areas that I'd say would, would prevent a toxic workplace culture evolving. I think we all aspire this psychological safety where we can be ourselves, bring ourselves and be fully engaged because company is benefiting, I'm benefiting if I can really engage and bring my ideas. But if somebody who's listening to this is in a workplace that is the complete opposite, how would you recommend to navigate that? Like, how do we keep ourselves mentally stable if we are in a bad, in a bad culture? Yeah, it's a really, really difficult question because sometimes when we're super highly stressed, we can see and imagine the worst in our cultures. Uh, and once we've had a couple of bad experiences in a workplace, 
the danger is that every small thing we interpret really badly and we and we don't and that's also when we become cynical right absolutely we become very cynical we become very naturally negatively driven and it's part of the brain's protective sort of setup essentially that once we've noticed bad things the brain looks out for more risks more problems and more issues so i think the first thing is if if someone has a perception that they're in a culture that is is toxic or, or not positive or is to check themselves to, to a first point of is this really true now have changes happened that maybe i've not you know i've not seen and that can be done alone it can be like checking yourself but it usually that is where some kind of uh mirror is useful working with a coach working with a mentor working with someone outside that organization i have to say the danger of doing trying to do that with friends family um partners who have seen you through prior times when you have been struggling in that organization is they won't always be very neutral. They will ha- they will be prote- more protective over you than someone who's a little bit more removed. So, so that is important. But there are still certain cultures which are also not conducive to good mental health. They they simply aren't. And I think if you if you do that check in and you go, no, this is repetitively things going wrong. This is repetitively happening. Um, that's when it, you have to say, okay, well right, what do I want from my career? What am I willing to give to achieve that? Do I want to stay within this? And if I am choosing to stay within this culture, then I need to accept the things I can and have the courage to change the things I um, I can as well. So that might be, okay, well, I'm going to address and speak to HR about this specific issue and I want to lean into that. Or I'm going to choose to to, to take some other action um, or you choose to leave and make peace with that that decision to leave. But throughout it, I think to stay strong, because it's not always easy to just turn around and say, OK, I'm going to leave this culture, is to to focus on your strengths and what gives you purpose and value and fulfillment in your job. And on a regular basis, sort of checking yourself and say, OK, actually, I did do that and I'm proud of myself. And I like that point of like the self-reflection and the self-awareness along the journey because I feel like if we just go and change jobs, it might be the right thing to do. But if we don't do this step on what is it really that triggered me, there's a higher chance of finding the same situation again in a different workplace. What do I need to really thrive? And that can be very different for everybody. So it's a very subjective need. And so if I don't know what I need, how can I find it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Very often what you see in organizations is people's mental fitness is not optimal and they blame the culture. They blame the company. Possibly people will have friends who you've seen do that, that wherever they go, they've got they've got this is the problem with the company. This is the problem with the company and they're job hopping every two or three years because they're pointing fingers. And, and if that's happening, there's got to be a question of like, well, actually, wait, what's going on for me? What am I bringing to this? What am I expecting that's maybe not realistic? You know, there's every company is going to have a lot of positives and a lot of negatives, you know, because the negatives might be negative in your eyes because they're not exactly as you'd like, but they'll be adding value to someone else's experience or they'll be adding yes. value in other ways. You're never going to find a perfect organization, but we need to say, okay, what you know, what is, what am I bringing to this and what do I want this to be? And not just 
run away from an organization without actually talking to your leader, talking to your HR team. Because so often people leave it until their exit interview to say, this is what I would have liked to happen. And there's this assumption that everyone knows what's going on in our head, or they know that that's upsetting me. They know that's not helpful. They might not. So give, I would say always just give the organization a chance to make those changes. And then, you know, once you you do make a decision, if you do choose to move, really think about what you want and really think about the interview process, not just as I just want to get out of the last one, but more, what do I want to step into? And when you do so, who do I want to bring into this organization? Who do I want to be as I step into this and make a commitment to to do that from a sort of a, this are my strengths. These are what I see as the strengths of the organization with that real um, mindset of looking for the, the good and the possibility of the opportunities in there. And what I hear here is this being in the driver's seat, because as long as you're pointing fingers and things happen to you, you accept things. But the moment you take charge and you bring something to the table, you expect something, you are the owner, you are in charge of what's happening to you, you're driving your life, and that really changes something within you. Absolutely, yeah. And you did throw the word mental fitness a few times. What is that actually? For me, mental fitness is it's like the capacity to use our brain well. Mental fitness is about being able to, to, to maintain a sense of perspective and balance rather than jumping to really extreme negative or positive uh, assumptions. So it's about having that sense of, of balance perspective, um, balance of time of where we want to invest our time. I think there's an element of mental fitness, which is about um, endurance, you know, like physical fitness is someone physically fit can go on a long run and they can still breathe. Mental fitness is we can push through really busy, difficult, challenging periods, but we can do that and maintain a cadence and an ability. So there is definitely an endurance element. There's a strength element like we would see in physical fitness. So I, I see it as almost those different areas and, and flexibility, actually. The same with physical fitness is an element of flexibility. There's that ability to see things differently, see new angles, see new opportunities uh, mentally. Earlier when you were mentioning the patient, like that is mm. probably one step to work on your mental fitness, right? It it is, yeah. For my, mindfulness, definitely is a really comprehensive mindfulness program. Is not just about feeling relaxed. It's about sitting with discomfort. It's about sitting with difficulty. It's about the mind wandering. Mindfulness is about sitting down, and on the days when your mind is all over the place and you don't even know what's going on, you still sit down and you do that practice and you accept what happens within that practice. But the the power of mindfulness and meditation really is not what you get from the moments of practice is what happens outside of that which is you're in a conversation and you're a little bit more aware of everything that's going on in that conversation there's a structural change that happens within the brain by practicing mindfulness on a regular basis where the the amygdala sort of stress response is it's got a little bit of a pause it sort of slows down how quickly it reacts which means when you're in everyday situations, your natural instinct to just react, to snap, to, to bite back at someone who says something, you don't do that. You've got a little moment of thinking time and you go, oh, is that useful? Oh, is that me or is that them? So it, 
it's what plays out outside of that practice. What are other practices and habits that really help to grow the mental fitness? I think work around um, growth mindset um, and character strengths and and maybe empathy is probably the third one. Really easy access stuff that you can do. So the, the work around growth mindset is a wonderful book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. So cultivating that mindset where we're always saying, actually, what can I learn from this? That is a really, really important aspect. Um, something I still struggle with in certain parts of my life is you very rarely speak to someone who's fully growth mindset. Um, most of us are a bit of a mix. You know, there'll be this area or someone will yes. be like, oh, I'm a growth mindset here. But someone will still say, oh, I'm just not a good cook. Well, that means you've got a fixed mindset in around cooking. So growth mindset, character strengths, second one. And we could put a link in so that people could do a character strengths assessment and they can um, identify what their key core character strengths are what is an example of a character strength just making sure we know what you're talking about yeah so curiosity creativity honesty uh teamwork uh humor social intelligence perseverance so they're 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 kind of the qualities of of how we bring ourselves to our work that will enable us to do the best work so So does that mean if i know that i'm driven by curiosity and personal interaction i need to put myself into situations where i get more of that because that's when i can thrive and i feel more fulfillment is that then the idea behind it the idea is when we're working through things we think how can i bring that character strength into it so there's that element of how can we apply it? And at the same time, we want if we want to develop our curiosity because, you know, we're not using it, then we go and, as you said, we seek opportunities to be curious. So we go and ask people different questions. So it works both ways. And when you look at mental fitness, what role does purpose play there? It's fundamental. I would say that we all need to have a sense of purpose. So I think... Purpose is important in the sense of we need to feel like we're adding value. Purpose is important because we we need to have goals. You know, we need to have a simple purpose, even if it's not like a higher purpose of this is what I was born to do. We need to know I've got a purpose of I've got to get this task done by the end of the week or I, you know, I'm going to work today to feed my children. That's my purpose. You don't have to have your purpose being your work, but we do need to know what what gives us a sense of of meaning and what makes us feel like it's worth getting out of bed every day and and really recognize that so i think that's an important component of purpose the other important component of purpose is um there's a a risk when we are so purpose driven and we think that what we are doing is so important that we overdo it and we stop looking after our personal needs. And so burnout as a result of excessive purpose or excessive passion is not uncommon. I've got to do this. It's so important Mm -hmm. that then people stop looking after their personal needs. And you just mentioned burnout. If somebody listening is feeling a little bit depleted, what can they do today to push their mental fitness to get better, like to get to, to grow that again? Always my top three tips is um vaults values and vulnerability um and what that is is vaults is about understand your energy 
levels and what's taking or contributing positively to your energy levels. So doing a little bit of an assessment of in your day, what energizes you and what depletes you. You can just go through your day, do a tally of your average day or your average week, give yourself a green for something that energizes you, a red for something that drains you, an orange for something that's in the middle and look at what you've what you've got down and see how you could just bring in a few more of the green moments even if it's 3 minutes you know put on your favorite song and reduce some of those red moments whether that's by delegating whether that's by taking yourself out of your office and going for a walk at lunch so look at, at bringing a bit of a balance to your energy um values is about finding those character strengths and looking at your character strengths and identifying which are the character strengths I want to be leading my life with? Which are the things that make me proud of the person I am getting out of day, bed and make me feel like I'm bringing my best self to my day and my work? And see how you can make sure that your actions are aligning with those. And then vulnerability is accept that you are human and it's okay to find things hard. And actually, it's normal and healthy to find things hard. So that's okay but also you have a finite capacity uh, and find someone you can talk to, whether that be a coach, a therapist, a manager, an HR team member, but find someone who you can talk to about how you feel because actually having that that person is really important. What I'm hearing is kindness. Is when you look in the mirror, be kind to yourself. And you said one thing earlier. You said that when you were in the situation um, that you felt like really like when you had your turning point, you started taking 10 minute lunch breaks where you were just mind wandering and taking time for yourself. I feel that is one thing everybody can do today because like those 10 minutes will help them to be more charged. Yeah, I think it is. And yet what is also important with that is to know that the first time you do it, it will not feel relaxing. It will feel horrible like you've, well, not for everybody, but very often you'll feel like, well, I'm just wasting time. Uh, what am I supposed to do? I'm being, I've got stuff to do. And you'll reach for your phone. You'll, it will feel really odd. You have to understand that there's a difficulty, but that's like the weight training of mental fitness is to sit with the discomfort of building a new habit and see what happens. Um, yeah. And as you sit, you know, taste the food a little bit more, look around a little bit more. Allowing that space is a really, a really important one because the idea of kindness or being nice to ourselves is so much. There's so much about it. You see, my smile is getting bigger. I really, I feel like very <laughs> inspired, and I think there's so much that people can take away from that. And looking at the time, time has been flying. Is there one last advice um, on mental fitness? Start with something small. Whatever habit you want to build, whatever it is that you think would make a difference, start with something super, super small and just give yourself a week to experiment with it. Track it for a week and just see how you feel. And if you go, okay, well, I'm going to give it another day, another week, try it and keep it up and track it. And then when you've done it for two weeks, maybe you increase it. Whether it's getting into bed early, having an extra piece of fruit once a week, whatever it is, start small, keep it up, track your progress and then start building on that. Perfect. And I only have a few le questions left. What is coming up next for you? I'm running a retreat in November, mm -hmm. which I'm really excited about. So usually I work in-house with organizations um, and I do a little bit of one-to-one -one coaching outside 
with individuals, but most of my work is with organizations. So this is the first time since before the pandemic that I'm getting a group of people from different organizations. Um, It's a very small retreat. There's only going to be five people on it. uh, And we're going to go through a a kind of three-day mental fitness boot camp, I guess, or, um, you know, opportunity. It's going to be an opportunity for people to step back, pause, relax a little bit you know it's going to be in a beautiful countryside uh, country house and that's from the 2nd till uh, the 5th of November this year 2023 and, and I'm happy to offer your listeners a discount if uh, anyone would like to get in touch and uh, we can offer them a special listeners mm, I like that. Um, reaching your goals offer and you said it's in a country house where I, I assume it's somewhere in the UK it's in Surrey so we wanted somewhere that was just really easy to get into uh, from London we probably have some people coming from overseas so uh, you know wanted to be able to fly into London and easily get there but equally people within the UK travel there Um, so it's less than an hour outside of London very easy Mm -hmm. transport and um, beautiful beautiful property. Wow that sounds amazing and for everybody who is curious, intrigued, they should check out the details on the retreat coming up. They should go to your website. It's charlotteweisman.com. How else can people yes. stay in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the social media channel that I'm most involved in. Um, I have also, you know, I've got there's a business one and a personal one. So please connect there. Contact me anytime. Um, Instagram is charlotteweisman underscore. Again, um, I go through her flutters of being engaged on Instagram or not, but I am there and usually keeping people up to date with what's going on and top book reading recommendations and things. Um, so those are the two best options. Um, and as you said, checking out my website. Perfect. Thank you so much. I feel very intrigued now to work on my own mental fitness. So thank you so much for joining me this morning. Absolute pleasure. Now to focus on your mental fitness, because yes, it is important. And if somebody else comes to mind who needs to hear this information as well, please forward the episode to that person. And yes, if you could leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify, that would be the cherry on top. And thank you so much for your support. If I can ever be of help with my coaching hat on, in case you struggle with your career, you want to sharpen your leadership skills, or you wonder what's coming next, just drop me an email at johanna.herbstdelegate.com or send me a message via LinkedIn. I'd be happy to support you in your professional journey. With that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.